Section twelve of Fires and Firefighters by John Kenlon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eleven Great Fires and How They Were Fought. Part two. There occur at intervals in the history of the world calamities occasioned partially by fire of which it is almost impossible to give a concise narrative or upon which either to pass criticism or apportion blame in other words when fate or destiny or call it what you will takes a hand in the game human ingenuity science and forethought can only play subsidiary roles in dealing the cards the baltimore fire was destructive of property the equitable teemed with terrible possibilities and gave scope for the most modern fire strategy that probably the world has yet seen but the conflagration in san francisco formed an upheaval of primal elements which in their magnitude stand alone in history and yet show that dogged perseverance inborn in the firefighter which sooner or later surmounts the greatest obstacles on april seventeenth nineteen o six san francisco was one of the happiest grandest and most popular cities in the united states within twelve hours a large portion was in ruins within twenty-four it was a mass of belching flames and within thirty-six the lamentations of its inhabitants had penetrated to the most remote quarters of the globe to epitomize this ghastly debacle on wednesday april eighteenth an earthquake shock occurred doing considerable damage so badly crippling the water mains that though their supply was rated at thirty-six million gallons a day not only was the fire department unable to obtain the wherewithal with which to attack the ensuing fires but so scarce became this necessity of human life that it is credibly reported that at one period it was being retailed to thirsty thousands at fabulous sums per cup this conflagration destroyed two thousand eight hundred thirty one acres of business and dwelling houses and caused losses to the insurance companies concerned of approximately three hundred million dollars needless to say it is impossible to determine the number location or causes of the original outbreaks all that can be definitely stated is that the fire alarms at headquarters were completely dislocated by the earthquake shocks that the building in question was subsequently burned that the telephone service became completely disorganized and that doubtless many unsuccessful attempts were made to apprise the fire department of the need of its services all that can be hazarded is that within half an hour of the commencements of the outbreaks there must have been twelve distinct and separate fires needing attention roughly in order to give some idea of the operations involved it may be stated that the centre of the fire zone was an eminence known as knob hill thence one portion of the city was involved eastwards to the waterfront taking in chinatown and the latin quarter en route a second spread in a southwesterly direction through the business section and menaced the wharves and ferries while the third originating in the mission district to the west of knob hill burnt its way steadily towards the union ironworks where at that time were building two battleships for the united states navy before dealing in such detail as is possible with the incidental operations of the fire department it may be said that the fire force including reserves consisted of some six hundred men fifty-three engines fifteen ladder trucks nine chemical engines and two fireboats maintained by the harbor commissioners one of the fireboats had a capacity of fourteen hundred gallons per minute and the other nine hundred thirty both with a water pressure of a hundred fifty pounds of the seventy seven thousand feet of leading hose nearly thirty eight thousand feet were lost or over one half while three engines and a ladder were disabled beyond repair fire chief sullivan was unfortunately injured at the outset and died before he had formulated a plan of attack 
this comprehends the total casualties to men and materiel in the department during the entire conflagration a remarkably small percentage of the whole and it is a fair supposition that had the means of regular communication been open and had water been obtainable during the early hours of the disaster and having also due regard for the lightness of the wind and its direction the fire department would have obtained control by noon of the first day during the first period that is to say until wednesday night the fire appears to have been spasmodic and did not possess the nature of a fierce sweeping blast the ordinary rules of exposure seem to have prevailed and a leading part was played by familiar factors such as individual combustibility adjacency opposing openings short distances and excess height some notable cases of defense are worthy of comment such as that of the u s mint an old building far beyond modern standards of fire resistance superintendent leach of the fire department rallied his men and assisted by some regular soldiers beat the fire off in a manner worthy of the highest commendation another remarkable effort was that made by the employees of the post office to save that structure as the flames attacked through windows broken by the heat everything igniting was extinguished in detail the officials fought most gallantly and three days later when it was possible once again to obtain access to the building eleven postal clerks who had been seventy-two hours without food or water were rescued together with the whole of the mail of which they had been in charge late in the afternoon the great twenty-one story spreckles building ignited through broken windows on the fourth floor from fires started in two small frame buildings adjacent to it this provided one of the most spectacular scenes of the whole outbreak enormous crowds watched the dull red glow mount floor by floor till it reached the ornate three-tiered dome surmounting this edifice the circular windows therein seemed to shine like moons for some moments then followed a thousand spurts of flame as the floors collapsed and as darkness closed around men and women wailed hysterically thus to see the pride of their city so remorselessly destroyed as for the palace hotel its doom was sealed early in the afternoon a fine attempt was made by its staff assisted by some of the guests to resist the enemy but the protection of a hundred odd closely attacked and wooden framed windows and a vulnerable roof swamped them and the hotel was abandoned shortly after this commenced the extensive use of explosives which figured so prominently in this conflagration it is not surprising that men reduced to helplessness and desperation by lack of water should have resorted to what has been proved in all modern fires to be useless and in the opinion of this writer even harmful as is usually the case the explosions made no effective gaps and rather served to increase the quantity of combustible material on the other hand windows throughout the neighborhood were shattered the proximity of exploding buildings made it dangerous for owners to prosecute individual efforts towards the protection of their own property and it would appear that the choice of location for this desperate expedient was both haphazard and unintelligent the situation when wednesday night arrived is important to realize until now the rich business district north of market street and the high-class residential area were untouched it was still possible to maintain communication and to conduct organized opposition since the center of the city was yet habitable but human nature had become exhausted questions of life became paramount to those of property so that upon the direction of the wind depended the future alas during the evening the breeze for it was little more veered southward and increased just sufficiently to level the sweep of the flame and render leeward positions untenable the huge frame of the mechanics pavilion was transformed into a roaring pyre and the upslope toward russian hill perceptibly increased the vulnerability of that district from now onwards the spread of the flames was more rapid and they greedily ate their way along o'farrell street devouring in turn theatres hotels clubs stores and apartment houses 
Higher buildings like the Crocker felt the blast of the intense heat in their upper stories and caught fire ahead of their time. Fireproof buildings like the mills and the merchants' exchange, which during the day had proved bulwarks of safety, became involved and towards midnight were burning like beacon flares. A most desperate stand was now made around the Fairmount Hotel. Sailors from a revenue cutter, assisted by firemen, ran a three-quarter mile length of hose from their ship to the building, their officers with drawn revolvers impressing civilian bystanders to act as property savers. But all to no purpose, and as the dawn of the second day colored the eastern horizon, it was realized that not only the hotel but all the surrounding wealthy residences were doomed. During that Thursday morning the wind lightened, and now blew from the east, and served to check the advance of the flames which threatened the ferry building. It confronted, however, the defenders with a fresh and even more alarming development, that of losing the only closely inhabited part of the city remaining, the section west of Van Ness Avenue. In this 125-foot street the most extraordinary efforts had been resorted to, in a vain attempt to stop the ever-spreading fires, Beautiful houses were blown to atoms by dynamite, while the artillery belonging to the military garrison had carried on a steady and remorseless bombardment with high-explosive shells. The neighborhood was an inferno. Above the crackling of the flames resounded the dull boom of bursting shrapnel and the cries of terror-stricken men and women, while a canopy of green-gray smoke slowly spread upwards, marking the positions of the targets. Yet all this only served to provide fresh fuel for the oncoming conflagration. Some check was doubtless afforded by these drastic measures, but the invader still advanced westward. On the Friday morning, the third day of the fire, the east wind happily dropped, but was succeeded by a strong westerly breeze, which within the course of a few hours shifted between northwest and southwest, the former driving the flames into the Latin quarter and destroying the frame houses comprising it like so many dry leaves, and the remarkable sight was witnessed of thousands of barrels of wine being stove in with the vain hope that the liquor might be used to stay the approaching cataclysm. Forces concentrated near the Merchants Ice and Cold Storage Company, with the assistance of a city engine, and using the company's own water supply, at this point won a victory over the flames. Individual work also saved an isolated and somewhat scattered group of high-class dwellings on the precipitous summit of Russian Hill. The conflagration had thus lasted three days, and on the Saturday morning a heavy rain did much to bring the situation under control. A few smoldering blazes along the east waterfront occasionally flared up, endangering unburnt structures, but were, however, promptly suppressed. Vigorous and effective measures were now taken to prevent new outbreaks in the uninjured districts, where, owing to the earthquake, chimneys, gas pipes, and electric wiring were generally in an unsafe condition, and where the scant water supply rendered the situation most precarious. No time was lost in destroying dangerous walls, and it is worthy of comment that explosives were again used to an exceptional degree in this work, causing unnecessary additional damage in some places, and unfortunately quickly terminating many opportunities for distinguishing the true effects of the fire. Thus, within the burnt area of 2,831 acres, there survived, in a partially habitable condition, firstly three groups of buildings, that is, the detached dwellings on Russian Hill, some warehouses at the foot of Telegraph Hill, and a mercantile group near the Custom House. Secondly, one factory plant, the Western Electric Company. Thirdly, three government buildings, the Mint, the Post Office, and the Appraiser's Building. Fourthly, two fire-resisting office buildings, the Hayward, with the three-story building adjoining, and the Atlas building with a two-story structure adjacent to it. Such is a brief description of the conflagration which devastated San Francisco, and necessitated, without exaggeration, the foundation of a new city. 
the narrative has been shorn of anything that might detract from a realization of the factors which governed the actual situation though naturally it goes without saying that incidents of interest humorous pathetic and tragic abound as in all great crises the behavior of those concerned varied according to temperament and circumstance but generally speaking there was little real panic and on all sides was observable a tendency to make the best of things and incidentally to help others to do likewise at first people were so stunned that they scarcely realized what was passing as was evidenced by one stranger to the town who making his way to safety was accosted by a rough who demanded his purse he surrendered it without demur but the hold-up had been observed by an officer in command of some soldiers martial law having been declared the thief was shot dead on sight afterwards being asked to give evidence regarding this shooting the victim of the assault was found to have forgotten everything about it and remarked that he was so bewildered that anything seemed quite natural this curious mental effect was by no means uncommon and no doubt indirectly exerted an influence against any access of unreasoning or overwhelming terror which would have rendered the exertions of the authorities practically abortive a story dramatic in its sheer horror was related by a doctor who reported that he had found a man pinned under debris and suffering the most horrible torture the while calling loudly for someone to put him out of his misery after consultation a police officer drew his revolver and fired at the sufferer but being presumably unnerved the shot went wide of its mark the doctor was then authorized to act and he accordingly opened the arteries in the man's arm thus assuring him a speedy release from his agony thieves there were too in plenty though short shrift was their lot when caught firing squads patrolled the streets and these ghouls paid the price of their hideous crimes the hacking of beringed fingers from lifeless hands and the like with their own worthless bodies on the other hand simple heroism could be depicted in no nobler form than the spiritual comfort extended to the dying by the ministers of all denominations who worked like slaves at great risk to themselves a word of praise must be written anent the pluck and never flagging determination shown by all ranks of the fire department under the command of chief shaughnessy who succeeded chief sullivan after the death of the latter the firemen worked for three whole days with such apparatus as was at hand and only ceased when compelled so to do from physical exhaustion and withal humor was not lacking it so happened that the metropolitan opera company of new york was fulfilling an engagement in the city at the time and the experiences of its individual members would fill a volume their world-wide fame of course aroused the greatest interest in their fates and it was only after some days that public anxiety was allayed and it was learnt that no one of their number was the worse for the experience caruso was a guest at the palace hotel and only escaped with difficulty but he accepted the unexpected with a philosophy not usually associated with his countrymen and as he sat in the middle of the street upon his valise wondering what was coming next he nonchalantly rolled a cigarette and professed himself as not unduly disturbed later in common with everyone else he was compelled to shift for himself and owed his cordial reception by a band of soldiers who gave him food and lodging to the fact that he was carrying with him a photo of ex-president roosevelt inscribed with the words with kindest regards this served as a passport one of the men remarking if you're teddy's friend come right in and be comfortable caruso afterwards summed up his impressions in the sentence it instantly recalled the horrors of my native naples of which i've been reading vesuvius interruption could not have been as horrible campanari the great baritone contented himself by opining that it made a change in the monotony of touring and that he found caruso's pajamas in which incidentally he had escaped a bad fit rossi the bass passed the time by trying his voice while nehan franco one of the conductors risked his life by returning to his hotel in order to save a violin he much prized madame sembrick succeeded in saving her pearls 
reputed to be some of the finest extant, but assessed the loss of her wardrobe at $25,000. Finally, Alfred Hertz, the musical director, who also helped himself to Caruso's garments in the moment of the emergency, found safety near the zoological gardens, which, owing to the roars of the frightened beasts, he declared to be a more horrible place than any in the city. A fact of more than passing interest which must strike all observers is the similarity of the results recorded in this conflagration to those in the Baltimore outbreak. The latter was the first in which modern methods of fire resistance received a severe test. There the water supply was adequate, and the fire department well up to the average, and manipulated with considerable intelligence. There were fireproof buildings, most of them of modern construction, and so situated as to reinforce each other and act, so to speak, as fire-breaks. Yet the result showed that in the direct sweep of the fire, as determined by the direction of the wind, nothing survived except the following. Firstly, an occasional one- or two-story building, favorably located as to shelter or wind currents. Secondly, an occasional grade floor in a fire-resistive building. And thirdly, the empty shells of the fireproof buildings themselves, none of which possessed front-window protection. Finally, structures on the side borders of the wind sweep, where the exposure was confined to ignition from brands, and where men and apparatus could maintain a working basis and keep open their communications. There was also something in the nature of a successful check at Jones Falls, a stream of water of but moderate width, by which engines belonging to the New York Fire Department made a determined stand. Thus, from past experiences, there was no reasonable expectation in San Francisco of the survival of any building after the fire department was in retreat, except in cases analogous to those just mentioned. In the main, this proved correct, with some few exceptions. Within the burned section, not only did all frame buildings succumb, but also all brick structures having wooden floor beams, whether of good, bad, or indifferent construction, and with more or less complete ruin in nearly every case, with the one exception of the Palace Hotel. Prominent amongst conclusions which may be formed from this disaster, in the opinion of this writer, are the uselessness of explosives as a deterrent measure to the spread of flames, and the danger to tall buildings from the heat engendered by burning structures of a lesser height. The former accentuates confusion, causes panic, fosters misunderstandings between municipal and federal authorities, destroys property which otherwise might conceivably be saved, provides fresh fuel for the flames, and hence is practically worthless as a serious feature in firefighting. An exception, which may occur, only goes to emphasize the point. As regards the latter, this danger was plainly exemplified in the occurrences in San Francisco, and serves to illustrate the care which must be taken in considering the fire-resisting methods which must receive attention in the modern skyscraper, and which are dealt with at length in another chapter. Suffice it to say that the heat wave generated during the climax of the conflagration rose to a height of about three hundred feet above the street level, and was directly responsible for the ignition of church steeples, skyscrapers, and all structures of a similar character. Otherwise, many old data received confirmation, which have been listed as follows in the underwriter's report upon the conflagration. A. The dangerous effect of a number of simultaneous fires. B. The weakening of a firefighting force if compelled to thin out over a wide front c. The improbability with existing methods of frontal resistance to a fire sweep when the wind velocity exceeds a certain critical figure. d. The special vulnerability of leeward upslopes. e. The structural ruin in conflagrations of all wooden joist brick buildings where the stability of the walls in any way depends upon the bracing of the beams. f 
the limited utility in a conflagration of rear and side shuttering where front windows remain unprotected g the likelihood of ignition of ordinary roofs consisting as they do of wooden boards with a thin veneer of tin or other roofing material h the slight value as conflagration breaks of fireproof buildings when abandoned i the possibility of holding buildings even with unprotected openings provided there are some men even only a little water and the openings are few j the structural survival even without window protection and when abandoned of steel frame buildings with fireproof floor arches provided the steel frame is properly encased with fireproof material the structural damage being in close proportion to the quality of the frame protection k the greater or lesser destruction in such buildings of all non-structural interior heavy spalling of all kinds of facing stone the injury to ornamental mouldings and copings extensive damage to hollow tile in floor arches and partitions as usually constructed a marked increase of injury where wood finished floors are used over the floor arches the danger from falling safes where there is loose back filling the failure of unprotected cast-iron mullions and spandrels in courts and the weakness of roofs carried on unprotected steel rafters with suspended ceilings amongst other important lessons derived from this conflagration in the matter of fire-fighting may appropriately be noticed the following a the importance of front as well as rear and side window protection fire resistant if possible but at any rate fire retardant that is wire glass b the necessity of encouraging individual protection by the occupants of buildings c the importance of ample water supply and a good pressure d the necessity for all fire departments to have a large reserve of apparatus and hose e the importance to fire departments of powerful apparatus with a long range f the importance of fire resisting roofs roof structures and of well protected skylights g the necessity of the adoption of rigid standards for column protection h the importance of good bricklaying and mortar with cement in place of lime j the importance of efficient protection to the steel frames in roof attics k the importance in partitions of a better bracing of tile and the need of fire retardant transoms as well as doors in conclusion perhaps the writer may be pardoned for hazarding the belief that in case of a great conflagration where the military authorities are invited to assist in the maintenance of order every effort should be made to assist the fire department and the loss of individual property should be subordinated to the public will in accordance with the expressed opinion of the fire chief thus the policy at san francisco by which looting was prevented on any large scale by the indiscriminate employment of the military who were also responsible for the use of explosives may have saved some thousands of dollars but this very policy was probably accountable for the loss of millions by the way in which the skilled firefighters were hampered in their movements through official interference by the unnecessary blocking of important thoroughfares and by the fears of bodily harm consequent upon unexpected explosions it would appear as though the american continent possessed a monopoly of great conflagrations and in all truth this is in a measure correct owing to peculiarities of construction canada supplies an instance of what may happen when the fire department is not equal to the needs of the situation which must sometimes occur when the building material is chiefly wood the town of hull which is situated on the north bank of the ottawa river directly opposite the capital of the dominion was until april twenty sixth nineteen hundred a thriving and prosperous municipality on that spring morning a fire broke out a quarter of a mile from the main street of the little city 
and fanned by a fierce gale from the northwest rapidly advanced in the direction of the countless lumber mills and other factories from which hull obtained its prosperity the population was chiefly composed of persons employed in these industries and of the heads of the mills in the district whose houses although many of them were large were built of wood by eleven thirty the flames had swept across main street and its dozens of cross thoroughfares were rendered impassable the courthouse the post office and many churches were destroyed and by midnight the interprovincial bridge connecting hull with ottawa was a mass of flame in the ruins of hull there remained only the catholic cathedral with a few houses clustered about it and two factories to mark the existence of what had once been a flourishing industrial centre but the flames were unsatisfied aided by the wind great masses of burning embers ignited the powerhouses street electric and incandescent electric companies buildings on victoria island from whence the wharves on chaudiere flats part of ottawa itself were within easy distance here were situated a great number of lumber mills and the piles of dried timber were the most enticing food for the roaring conflagration that could have been found here also was located the canadian pacific railway station which being of wood like the other structures offered no resistance to the attack in fact so rapid was the onrush of the enemy that many fine houses were consumed in the twinkling of an eye and before their owners were able to save even the smallest proportion of their possessions montreal and smaller towns in the vicinity of the threatened city nobly responded with men and apparatus on an appeal for aid since the outbreak had assumed proportions far beyond the control of a comparatively small local fire department but even this assistance combined with the efforts of the militia proved of no avail in the face of the tornado of flame which tore like a whirlwind past every obstruction and threatened to transform the capital of canada into a heap of ashes like its suburb of hull rochesterville a small township which had been included some time previously within the city limits was rendered a desolate waste and had it not been that the direction of the wind mercifully changed to the east and had it not been for the high cliffs which formed an insurmountable barrier to the onset not all the fire departments in canada could have saved the city owing to the destruction of the electric light supply the house of commons which was then sitting was obliged to adjourn everything possible was done to provide shelter and subsistence for the seven thousand homeless people whose condition was piteous in the extreme most of them were laborers from the mills and lumber yards who had seen their homes wiped out and their occupations taken from them at practically one and the same moment the military drill hall and the exhibition buildings were devoted to this charitable purpose and many philanthropists proved themselves worthy of the demands made upon them a curious feature of this disaster was the fact that after the fire had burnt itself out there remained no smouldering embers and smoking ruins but all was literally in ashes so thoroughly had the flames done their work it is also worthy of note that only seven persons met their death and that no fireman was injured with the exception of the chief of the hull brigade the property loss was assessed at seventeen million dollars three million four hundred thousand pounds and some idea of the extent of the damage in the lumber yards alone can be gained from the bare statement that two hundred million feet of timber was destroyed needless to say the price of this commodity was materially increased and the trade suffered severely this conflagration it will be observed was of the same sweeping character as that of baltimore though fought under totally different circumstances for sheer horror the disaster at the bazaar in the rue jean goujon paris on may fourth eighteen ninety seven surpasses the wildest dreams of the most morbid fiction writer and will ever live as perpetual reminder to the thoughtless of the uncertainty of existence owing to the social prominence of its one hundred and fifty victims this catastrophe stands out unique in the annals of great fires imagine the elite of a great city 
the subscribers to such fashionable organizations as the opera the horse show and in england ascot pack them all within a limited area apply a match and make a bonfire of the surroundings and picture the result these formed the patrons at the bazaar in question when at four p m on that day hundreds of persons were crowding the narrow aisles between the stalls decorated to represent the streets of old paris and were gazing with interest at the many titled men and women who had offered their services on behalf of a well-deserving charity the building itself was a one-story wooden structure with a freshly tarred roof and contained draperies and curtains of highly inflammable material as in most of these instances the origin of the fire is doubtful it may have been caused by the overturning of a spirit lamp or the ignition of the illuminating apparatus of a cinematograph which had been installed for the additional amusement of the visitors but all that is definitely known is that at this hour in the afternoon an explosion took place on the left side of the bazaar the flames seizing on the hangings and articles exposed for sale spread rapidly and the crowd instinctively sought the farthest point from danger of the eight doors one was on the left and therefore cut off by the flames three opened on to the rue jean goujon and four located in the rear and used by employees were unknown to the guests people near the main entrances were able to escape with but slight injury but the great mass of humanity surged towards the right wall where there was no outlet save a small window heavily barred which connected with the hotel du palais servants in the hotel who had been peering through this opening to obtain a glimpse of the gay throng succeeded in breaking the bars and rescuing a number of the panic-stricken throng but while so doing many were burnt before their eyes the first intimation of the situation to passers-by was a rush of semi-nude and maddened women into the adjacent streets where instantly all became confusion rows of stately carriages and humble cabs whose drivers had been awaiting the arrival of their employers were roused into activity by the vision of their shrieking blood-stained owners wildly clamoring to be driven anywhere away from the scene of horror grooms in the service of the baron de rothschild whose stables were nearby used their hose to good purpose in extinguishing the flames enveloping the filmy gowns of the escaping patrons and one man more clear-headed than the rest plunged at full length into a horse-trough to find relief from his sufferings before the firemen could arrive the whole structure was in a blaze and the building collapsed even as the engines galloped up it had been known to the authorities that the hall was anything but fire resistant though being built upon private property they had not been able to take any steps in the matter and it had been thought that its dimensions and the fact that it was on the street level was sufficient guarantee of its security in the meantime rescues had been effected in the interior by a few brave priests who by means of some ladders had led about thirty people over the walls of a neighboring convent but anything in the nature of organized firefighting was out of the question the flames having got beyond control and the whole structure resembling nothing so much as a giant funeral pyre which was intensified by the piteous moans and cries for help which no human power could give it is difficult to gather any collected narrative of what happened within in moments such as these impressions are fleeting and as elusive as the phantasmagoria of delirium but a few episodes remain illustrative to some extent of the nature of the struggle for life while others exemplify the height of self-abnegation to which on occasion individuals arise the story of the martyrdom of the duchesse d'alencon was related afterwards by an eye-witness a young girl who had been assisting her at a stall not far from the outbreak of the fire as the younger woman saw the flames approach she begged her friend to escape pointing out the fact that the main entrance was near and that the fire would soon be upon them 
but the duchess replied in calm tones that it was their duty to allow the visitors the first chance and she and her terrified companion remained at their post watching the waves of frightened people beat their way to safety until the heat became so intense that mademoiselle l could endure it no longer with one last entreaty to the duchess she joined the others leaving her brave companion with hands clasped across her breast and eyes steadfastly fixed on her approaching doom never to be seen again alive it may here be remarked that the duchess was a sister of the empress of austria who later was to die a victim to the assassin's knife and that both were universally known and beloved some may find food for reflection in the extraordinary manner tragedy appears to dog the footsteps of the members of certain families and of a truth fire is no respecter of persons as has been instanced again and again when the firemen were able to enter the ruins of this charnel house they found near the fatal right wall a mound of dead five feet in height denuded of clothing and many unrecognizable the duchess was identified only by a ring and certain stopped teeth in her jaw piteous was the plight of many of the survivors some of whom became insane from fright while others were so severely injured that they afterwards died or carried traces of their experience for many years it is out of the question to criticize what might or might not have been done in the case of a disaster of this nature with a non-fire resistant structure and conditions such as prevailed from the first the case was practically hopeless though as a council of perfection had panic been avoided more persons might have been saved and notices advising visitors of the back exits should have been displayed but even the latter would probably have availed little since it is the prime impulse of every person in a building to leave by the exit through which he or she entered this it is which makes it of supreme importance to have properly drilled aisle guards and staff who in an emergency will keep cool and act as pilots to the excited and hysterical it is not too much to say that if all were possessed of the splendid courage of the duchesse d'alencon less life would have been sacrificed to the fire it is a relief to turn from the contemplation of such horrors to a conflagration which if involving tremendous financial loss at least was unattended by the harrowing scenes which have been described above in london on the nineteenth of november eighteen ninety seven a fire broke out at thirty hansel street in the heart of the manufacturing and warehouse section of the city the origin of the conflagration was the explosion of a gas engine on the premises of a large firm of mantle manufacturers the employees terrified by the smoke rushed to the roof and fled shrieking in fear over the adjoining buildings a strong wind was blowing and as is often the case in emergencies of this nature everybody's business was nobody's business there was some delay in transmitting the fire call on the arrival of the brigade the flames had spread to a neighboring warehouse and had crossed the street to a paper factory in this part of the city the streets are particularly narrow and great difficulty was experienced by the firemen in conveniently placing their apparatus large forces of police were required to keep back the crowds who sprang up as if by magic and threatened seriously to hamper the operations of the firefighters one after another the buildings stocked with large supplies of novelties and goods for the christmas market were involved and an explosion of gas meters added to the complexities of the situation firemen who had ascended to the roofs of fire-free buildings in order better to attack the outbreak found their retreat cut off and the excited spectators witnessed many daring rescues of these brave men by their comrades the vicarage of st giles church cripplegate was completely destroyed and the church itself interesting on account of its historic associations was saved after almost superhuman effort in all one hundred houses covering four acres were consumed and the combined exertions of practically the entire brigade were unsuccessful in checking the flames until five thirty p m 
when a wall collapsed in Wells Street, arresting the progress of the latter. The width of Red Cross Street was fortunately a sufficient barrier at that point, for had the fire broken through, it is impossible to say where or how it would have been stopped. Some idea of the magnitude of the conflagration can be gleaned from the fact that at midnight no less than fifty engines were still at work, and the fire was not under complete control till the following morning. The total financial loss amounted to five million pounds, twenty-five million dollars. It put two thousand people out of work, and sent up the price of ostrich feathers in all parts of the world. There is an absence of spectacular detail about such an outbreak, which tends to make it almost dull and uninteresting. But at the same time it illustrates, effectively, the vast risks which are to be found in European towns, and goes to show that the London Fire Department, though by American ideas lightly equipped as regards personnel and apparatus, is at times called upon to fight fires of the first magnitude. It is perhaps this very absence of spectacular effect which makes the realization of fire peril so difficult to the European and so vivid to the American. Baltimore, San Francisco, the Equitable, were occurrences of worldwide interest, and absorbed the descriptive talents of every skillful writer on two continents. A fire such as the above is merely a record of good work well and bravely done in the most unromantic of surroundings, and with a total absence of color, pathetic, exciting, or enthralling. The business of the world was not temporarily dislocated, though the pecuniary values involved were so tremendous. Lives were in danger, certainly, but so they are daily, and the fact passes unnoticed. Hence it is that in describing great conflagrations, those in Europe are apt to sink into insignificance, and those in the States loom out large in their gaunt and staring hideousness. In this respect, it may not be inappropriate to add a few words about the fire danger in conjunction with floods. In the spring of most years, and, alas, particularly in that of 1913, floods often occur through the rising of rivers, and vast tracts of territory are inundated, while towns and cities are washed away or destroyed by fire. That latter phrase gives rise to comment. People argue, how can it be possible to have fires when it is water which is giving the main cause for alarm? The answer is simple enough. Gas mains burst, oil stoves are upset, electric light mains are severed and become potential torches, and there is no means of effectively fighting the outbreak. Streets impassable through water naturally prevent the operating of any but floating fire apparatus. And thus it is that flames and floods sometimes work as allies, and humanity stands staggered at the immensity of the forces combined against it. But there is one comforting reflection, that silver lining which borders every cloud, namely that year by year the services of science are being called upon to a greater degree to keep within control the latent forces of nature. Houses are built fire-resistant, apparatus is perfected, waters are dammed, rivers are banked, and inch by inch, day by day, the never-ceasing combat continues, till the time shall come when the victory shall lie with man. That day will dawn, of that there is no doubt, and the swiftness of its advent will be exactly proportionate to the determination of the human race. Amongst some of the great conflagrations known to history, the following are representative, though it may be hazarded that the financial values involved must in the earlier years have been problematical, as when an entire city is wiped off the map, it is obviously difficult to total even approximately the fire loss. Ancient Rome boasts of one great outbreak which consumed almost every building within its walls, this in 64 AD. Constantinople might not inaptly be described as the much-burned, since it had three conflagrations in the 18th century alone one costing one hundred lives and fifteen thousand dwellings, another three hundred lives and thirty million dollars worth of damage, 
and the third thirty thousand dwellings and a property loss of a hundred and fifteen million dollars moscow outside of eighteen twelve when the city was destroyed by its own inhabitants rather than allow it to fall into the hands of napoleon was wiped out in thirteen eighty three the destruction on this occasion being even greater than the later event since naturally the construction was inferior the great fire of london occasioned a property loss of sixty million dollars while in eighteen sixty one the business section suffered to the extent of twelve million dollars and in eighteen seventy four the residential area suffered to the extent of fifteen million dollars a conflagration of gigantic proportions gutted smyrna in seventeen ninety six and destroyed half the city with a loss of over fifty million dollars turning to america the great fire of new york in eighteen thirty five destroyed six hundred buildings with a loss of twenty million dollars while that of boston in eighteen seventy two represented the second highest total extant namely one hundred million dollars the record for fire loss before the conflagration in san francisco was held by chicago which in eighteen seventy one lost seventeen thousand five hundred buildings and two hundred million dollars worth of property though without appreciable loss of life toronto in nineteen o four st john's in eighteen ninety two and hamburg in eighteen forty two were also visited by serious outbreaks that in the german city burning all the business section with a loss of thirty five million dollars while the newfoundland capital suffered to the extent of twenty six million dollars a remarkable figure taking into consideration the small size of the town and the relatively minor importance of its financial values after such a recitation who shall say that personally financially or structurally fire does not constitute one of the greatest perils extant end of section twelve recording by maria casper